Hello everyone and welcome back to The Longest Night. We are a Game of Thrones show on the Podbreed Network and we work with our friends at the Narth subreddit as well. My name is Rob and I have seen every single episode of Game of Thrones at least half a dozen times. And my name is Lizzie and I'm watching Game of Thrones for the very first time. If you want to, you can find us on Twitter. We are at LongestNightGOT. That is at LongestNightGOT. And we're also on Etsy under the same name. We have a very small Etsy store with precisely one item in it. (laughs) Our title music was provided by Edward Thomas, who's a friend of the podcast. And if you want to find uh, all of his available work, I will leave a link in the description. Today, we are just going to be doing our usual thing of uh, things we do at the end of the season where we look back over the course of the season, we hand out some awards, we talk about the season as a whole. Um, and usually, we've been watching the trailer for the season to come, but then we stop that in season five. And now, what we're going this week, what we're going to do is we're going to watch the trailer for the season that we've just watched to see yeah. how Lizzie would have been spoiled <laughs> if we'd have watched the trailer beforehand. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, I think we'll just we'll get down to it. People who've been listening to these award shows since the beginning, they'll know the general structure. Uh, we do we pick a best loser, we pick a best winner, we pick a best moment, um, best episode. We discuss the season as a whole, that sort of thing. So it's fairly loose and fairly casual. Um, it uh, means I get less editing to do. So yeah, that's what we're uh, that's what we're gonna do. So. Lizzie, throughout the season, at the end of every episode, I have been mm-hmm. asking you who your loser of the week was. Yeah. Uh, so in season one, your loser of the season was Joffrey Baratheon. In season yep. two, it was Theon Greyjoy, how mm-hmm. far we've come. In season three, it was Ramsay Bolton. In season yep. four, it was Tywin Lannister. In season mm-hmm. five, it was Cersei Lannister. Ooh. And in season six, episode one, you picked The Waif. Yep. In episode two, you picked Ramsay Bolton. In episode three, you picked Kevin Lannister. Of course. In episode four, it was Carl Morrow. In episode yep. five, it was the Night King. In episode yep. six, it was Randall Tarley. In episode seven, it was Lem Lemoncloak. In episode eight, <laughs> it was the Waif again. In episode nine, it was Ramsay Bolton again. And in episode ten the final episode of the season, it was The High Sparrow. So that's two nominations each for The Waif and Ramsay Bolton. Mm. But who is your loser of the season? Well, since it's award season, I feel like I should um, name the nominees before we go into this. Okay, yeah. In the nominees category, we have The High Sparrow, we have Littlefinger, we have Ramsay Bolton, we have Tom and Baratheon, we have The Night King, and we have The Waif. It's been okay. a hot. It's been a hotly contested category, and yeah, I'm sure you'll all agree. This could have gone to absolutely any of those names, but I'm going to give this award to the High Sparrow. Hey, yeah. <laughs> uh, why him? Um, I mean, this very easily could have been Ramsay Bolton again. Like both started the season in a position of power and ended the season dying in sort of grim fashion. But the High Sparrow in particular really ought to have known that he was playing a losing game with Cersei Lannister. Like it's all well and good to approach your next move in an in like an analytical sense as though you were playing 4D chess. But 
what the High Sparrow failed to realise is that there's nothing stopping your opponent from, I don't know, throwing the board on the floor and, I don't know, bludgeoning you to death with one of the edges, which is what <laughs> Cersei decides to do in episode 10. <laughs> so as much as that meticulous logic might seem like the sensible option, and it did work for him for a while, it doesn't have an answer when an opposing force decides to invoke chaos or choose violence, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly not the first case of this in the show, like the Red Wedding, for example. It came about as you know, Rob Stark tried to reason with Walder Frey over the broken promise of the arranged marriage. But much like Cersei, Walder Frey decided that he wasn't interested in playing a losing game. And he failed and Rob Stark failed to realise that 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 third option existed, that they could just say, you know what, fuck this, I'm not playing your game, fuck you, I'm going to kill you. So, yeah, the High Sparrow could have held King's Landing and even Westeros in the palm of his hand for many years, but ultimately, Chaos was no friend of his. Yeah, okay, that's a really excellent summation of why you believe the High Sparrow should be the, the loser over the season. And I find it kind of strange that he dies with us never really knowing his real name. He's just... Yeah, that's a good point. The High Sparrow. Gary. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think my personal loser of the season, High Sparrow's definitely high up. Um, the Waif is probably high up as well. Um, <laughs> but I think, as a big send-off, I think, you know, Ramsay Bolton probably uh, takes it for me. Yeah. One thing I was kind of struck by this season watching it again is that i hadn't realized just how little of the season he's actually in i th- i do recall saying that's a good thing because it was getting yeah. to a point with osha it's like you see him on screen it's like okay i know where this is going fine get on with it yeah um because he's he's in about six scenes in the whole season and i think he kills yeah. three people yeah yeah um, well, directly yeah well the, the, Bruce bolton Bruce, uh rickon stark and hmm. um uh, osha so, yeah, th- not many scenes, but, like, he's in three of the first four episodes and then he's out until Battle of the Bastards. Yeah, which is um, why I've, I've, yeah. I felt like I couldn't really give the award to him. No, because the cause the High Sparrow takes up more screen time. Uh, Much more screen ac- time. Across the season, yeah. yeah. And I also think, as well, the High Sparrow is perhaps uh, a more interesting and compelling character. I think right up until the end... He kind of keeps you second guessing as a, as a, in relation to his nature and what yeah, he's actually definitely. like. Whereas with Ramsay Bolton, it's basically all on the surface. And when his daddy issues get solved by killing his dad, of um, the the inner complexity within Ramsay that was maybe present in season four, um, it's not quite in the same. It's not quite as rich as it once was, but he, he is yeah. an effective juggernaut for that part of the story, and he makes for a worthy adversary for John and Sansa. And it makes it very satisfying for when they, uh, when they do overcome him. Uh, although as we discussed on that episode, it's only satisfying up to a point. And then mm, when definitely. Sansa and John start mimicking Ramsay's actions, it becomes less satisfying and less, uh, less cathartic as, uh, as we said on that episode. So moving away from the bad stuff, uh, we're going to move towards the good stuff. So, winner of the season. So, your your previous yeah. wins, uh, your previous winners for winner of the season, we've had Arya Stark for season one, Tyrion mm. Lannister for season two, Catelyn yep. Stark for season three, Arya Stark again in season four, Jon mm. Snow 
for season five. Yeah. And for this season, so in episode one, you chose Brienne of Tarth. Yeah. For episode two, you chose the Lady Melisandre. For episode three, Arya Stark. In episode four, Sansa Stark. Episode five, Hodor. Episode six, Gilly. Episode seven was Brother Ray. Episode eight was Lady Crane. Episode nine was One One. And episode ten was Cersei Lannister. So yeah. one nomination each there. Nobody with more than one appearance in that in that list. So who are your nominees? Which I'm actually kind of surprised about, even though I do try and nominate different people because, you know, I could just nominate my favourite character every week. But where's the fun in that? It's I want to sort of try and focus on the character that impressed me most in that episode. Yeah, it helps you focus on the episode itself as well. And it, exactly, yeah. It makes you look for its redeeming qualities as well, I think. So this was kind of a long list that I had to trim down to a short list. Um, so my nominees in in name order... We've got Cersei Lannister, we've got Daenerys Targaryen, we've got Davos Seaworth, we've got Jon Snow, and we've got Sansa Stark. And my award has been nailed on for quite some time, and it would have taken something quite spectacular to actually budge this, but my winner of the season is Sansa Stark. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Why Sansa? Um, I mean, I'm sure it won't come as a surprise to anybody who's actually listened to our season six episodes, but... Can anybody deny how impressive she's been throughout season six? Like no. her her thoroughly bleak experiences in season five would have been enough to break most other characters. But Sansa uses those experiences to, you know, strengthen her resolve and determination. And Definitely. you could argue that she's maybe a little too determined at points, especially with regards to, you know, insisting on bolstering John's army and eventually having to call in a favour from an actual monster. But there's absolutely no doubt that John's army would have lost if not for her foresight. And on, and like on that note, um, this is maybe going into the prediction side of things a bit, but I'm very curious to see where John and Sansa's relationship goes from here. Um, mm. Like In just six episodes, we've gone from their beautiful reunion at Castle Black to them being back at the helm of Winterfell, but m- much like in the final scene at Winterfell in The Winds of Winter, there's an elephant in the room who looks and sounds suspiciously like Littlefinger. <laughs> and you can only wonder how Sansa feels regarding John as king in the North. Like, hmm. okay, it's preferable to one of the Boltons, but... Is Sansa thinking what Littlefinger wants her to think? Like, she was proven right about the weaknesses of Jon's army, yet Jon gets to be named King. So Mm. does it mean that Sansa will have to navigate yet another power imbalance? Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. My pick for the season is also Sansa Stark. Hey. Um, For basically all of the same reasons that you said. I just think that it's also a sign, I think, that... Not that I think they got anything wrong in season five, but I think that no, what no. criticisms they what criticisms were leveled at them, hmm. I think I think I think they kind of got the picture, and they've made a really big deal out of improving Sansa's stock and yeah, making yeah. sure that what happened to her in season five has shaped her and has turned her into the person that she is, and I think that they land a very landed quite a crucial win 
in in that area in 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 that subject area this season where i think you know quite a lot of people had been doubting the show up to this point about how you could write a storyline around the kind of subjects that Sansa's had to endure and mm. this is just my personal opinion but i think that they write a very interesting Sansa this season and yeah i agree yeah she has levels of complexity now that She's, you know, the way that she's grown, like, from season one, where she's saying things like, I want to marry Prince Joffrey and I want to have his yeah. babies. And yeah, fucking hell. The way that she's grown and all the things that she's learned. And I think that she wears a lot of scars on her. And Absolutely. I don't yeah. think they've ever really lost sight of that this mm. season. And, yeah, I think that as much as she's been shaped by the trauma that's happened to her, I also think that there are moments this season where she lands pretty big wins and you do feel you do feel happy for her and you are pleased that she's growing up at the rate that she uh, the rate that she is doing because some kids get to grow up at a normal rate and other kids especially ones like Sansa Stark they have to grow up a bit before their time mm. and Sansa's had to do a lot of that this season and I think she's adjusted to it very well and I think you're right to wonder where Sansa, where Sansa's emotions currently are mm. with regards to how much of a leadership role she might want at yeah, Winterfell course, and yeah. how much of a leadership role she currently has. And uh, that, that is a, an early dynamic of the, uh, the next season that um, I think you'll, you'll, I think you'll enjoy watching. I'm very excited. All right, then uh, continuing on with uh, the good, the good categories. Um, Lizzie, what was your favorite moment? from season six okay well again quite a few nominees for this and i'm sure you you might have even more than i did but um on my short list here i've got um john and sansa being reunited at castle black we've got john coming back to life in episode one we've got the yep. bombing of the sept in episode 10 yeah um two from the battle of the bastards we've got the um the crush and yeah. also the opening, you know, from Rickon's run to John facing down the Bolton soldiers. Cool. That's the, you know, that is not a very common choice. And I like that you've picked that because I'm, I've always been a very big defender of that scene when people have criticised it. And I'm glad that I'm glad that you've picked that out have as, people, a, as I mean, a nomination. This, this might be a chat for another time, but have people criticised that? I would have thought that would be a very popular one. It they Well, this is the thing with... Uh, people forget that storytelling and logic don't always fit together and they mm. seem to think that they should and it's like well if i was if i was Rickon, i would have done this and it's just a symptom of people thinking that they're cleverer than tv shows but don't That's mind me but yeah. carry on with your list of nominations <laughs> okay well there's only two more um second to last is the night king invading the tree in episode yeah 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 five i think and also um the war of the five kings theater troupe yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I went, went on a big, a big spiel about that. I forget which episode it was, but yeah, it go was spread back, across go back a few. But yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll class that as a, a moment. Um, yeah. So, who's your winner then? Um, my winner is the bombing of the sept. Yeah. Okay. It, it yeah. might be a little bit of recency bias, but yeah, that was the moment where, you know, we had that little recording session and the penny just dropped. It's like, oh my God. And <laughs> then obviously the explosion itself is fucking amazing. It's so good. <laughs> and, and you know, we, we talked about it in episode 10. Go back and listen to it if you want to. But 
um you know everything before it like the the piano music build up and that like there's no dialogue for about five, three four minutes before this yeah and just all that build up all that tension and marjorie's realization that something is seriously wrong and you know the high sparrow failing to realize it in time and just that slow zoom on his face as the penny drops for him yeah <sighs> so good yeah i think um i mean we have we, we have really waxed lyrical about it um in our previous episode for um for the winds of winter mm. but one thing i will say that i didn't say in that episode which is that it's one of those things where I think even still that episode is nearly six years old and I still don't think I've seen anything in another show that makes me think this is giving me what Game of Thrones gave me. Like I just yeah, think that things yeah. like the Sept of Baylor explosion, I just don't think there's another show on TV giving me things like this at the moment. And this episode was six years ago. Mm. And I think it is an example of the might of Game of Thrones that when, when all of its individual aspects come together to form something like that uh it's hard to beat very very hard to beat i think that you know some shows get just as much of an emotional reaction out of me from smaller ingredients like succession or something like that yeah yeah like that episode um you compared actually the winds of winter to um it was over a message that we had you compared the winds of winter to too much birthday uh, yeah from succession's yeah. third season this the kind of emotional onslaught and mm. Too much birthday at the end of that episode. I did feel physically drained, like I needed to lie down. And <laughs> yeah. the winds of winter in that sept explosion in particular really does make me feel that way. And it's one of those things where Game of Thrones is as unique as it can be when it comes to delivering those big, the big, the big set pieces, the big decisive macro twists that it's always really thrived on. Um, my personal favorite moment of the season. I'm trying to think. I think it's probably the reveal that Jon Snow's parents are Lyanna Stark and yeah. Rhaegar Targaryen. Yeah. Um, but that's more of a favourite moment of the show up to this point kind of thing. Um, but there are great moments that I'm thinking of uh, from earlier in the season, like Brienne and Sansa having that reunion in the first episode. Um, oh, God, yeah. Oh, I can't so, believe I missed that out. You're right. Um, and John giving up um, the Lord Commander's position. Um, yeah. The, 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 uh, on top of those ones that you've um, you've mentioned already, I think the Hound's return is uh, quite a cool cold, uh, cold, a cool cold open. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I think you know, it, I think season six is uh, it's a season full of moments. I think it is the most moments season. I think that, mm. that there are several moments this season, and I think, um, yeah, season six is the one where the moments start to get prioritised <laughs> in quite a big way, and it means that when they pay off, they really, really smack. Mm. Yeah. Hold that thought. Okay, then. Yes, yes, we will, because um, <laughs> we'll talk about the season as a whole um, uh, in, uh, in a minute. But, uh, okay, so we're going to rank the episodes now and i think as we go through the episodes maybe we'll talk about them individually um yeah just yeah you know we'll talk about with a move to talking about the whole season so our least favorite episode of the season probably shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who listened to our episodes but it was episode eight which was no one um it's one of my least favorite episodes of the show lizzie how do you feel about it on reflection 
is one of my least favorites too. It just, yeah. you know, like even because like when I watched it for the second time, I thought this isn't good. This is such a step down for the show. Um, but mm. go back and listen to the episode if you're not listening to it already. It's a we had a lot of fun with that one. Yes, yes, we did. Um, yes. It is if always fun else. to laugh at stuff you love. Yeah. Um, next up is uh, in ninth place is the season premiere, which is the Red Woman. Which is an episode I like, um, but it's just a bit of a mixed bag. I think tonally, same with no one. It's when the lighter tone of this season becomes a little bit overbearing and it does knock off a couple of marks for me. Yeah, and there was also, um, I think, the stuff with Dawn, where it was like, okay, we're wrapping this up now. Like, okay, well, why are you showing me this? Weak men will never rule Dawn again. Yes, that scene. In eighth place is episode six which is blood of my blood um which i think speaks to the strength of how much i like this season that an episode i really like is this low down the list it's a big jump up from the first two episodes i think that we've mentioned in this list yeah i remember this one being good this is um i know it's one with sam and gilly but it's also um when tom and joins the faith isn't it yes it is yes yeah yeah um, so in seventh place is episode three, which is entitled Oathbreaker. Uh, that's yep. the one at the end where John gives up his uh, gives up his cloak. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was just I think after the fir- after the speed of those first two episodes, this one slowed down ever so slightly, and I'm, it was a bit more character focused. I mean, I'm actually surprised that wasn't lower because I remember having a problem with just how many locations it had to cover. Yes, there were a lot in that yeah. episode. Yes. Um, in sixth place is episode seven, which mm-hmm. is the broken man, uh, which is probably most famous for the hound, the hound coming back, uh, yeah. which is quite an exhilarating open. It also does end on are you being stabbed in the stomach by oh, yeah. the waif. Mm. Um, but my problems with that are more to do with what happens in the next episode rather than within the walls of the the broken man. And I love how green and pastoral the broken man is. Um, a lot of stuff in the countryside um, and around River Run and in the Riverlands and people building sets in the in the countryside and Ian McShane hanging around, swearing, yeah. those sorts yeah. of things. I mean, I do actually have um, a note on this in my general notes about how I wish we could have stayed here longer, but time yeah. isn't on the show's side. No, no, it is not. Um, so in the top half, in fifth place is episode four, Book of the Stranger. Um, again, it speaks to the strength of this season, I think, that its stronger episodes are so strong, in my opinion, that an episode like this is somehow only fifth. I think this yeah. is a really exhilarating hour of TV. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I agree. In fourth place is the second episode of the season, entitled Home, which, of course, is famous for Jon Snow's resurrection yeah. and... Balon Greyjoy being um, thrown off the bridge by mm-hmm. Euron Greyjoy. Roose Bolton is killed. Uh, yeah, Ramsay this is Bolton when... murders a baby. Yeah, he does yes. Uh, so <laughs> Game of Thrones. Uh, I think that this is the first episode I think I could refer to uh, refer to as maximum Game of Thrones. And uh, there's another one coming very shortly. <laughs> yeah, um, that definitely could also be referred to as such. But our top three on the podium, bronze medal position, is episode five, The Door in which Hodor holds the eponymous door. Yes. Fuck, any other season. Like yeah. any like any other season, this top three could have been the best. But 
Well, in second place is the season finale, The Winds of Winter. Um, It's my favourite episode of the whole show, but wasn't enough to unseat the winner of the season, which I'm sure you all know by now um, is the previous episode. But we'll talk about The Winds of Winter a little bit. Uh, Obviously, everybody knows this is the one with the Sept Explosion, uh, where Daenerys finally comes to Westeros where John's parentage is revealed after a very long wait. Uh, or, yeah, what, what doesn't... As we said in that episode, what doesn't happen in The Winds of Winter? <laughs> yeah, the more I think about The Winds of Winter, the more I like it. I think I maybe had a bit of um, a quibble at the time. It was like, you know, the, again, that complaint about how much ground it has to cover and, yeah, you know, the sheer weight of it. But what does happen in it is generally like some of the best the show has to offer yeah i think so and to be honest your relationship with the winds of winter depending on how your relationship with game of thrones goes over time Hmm. i think it will be one that i'm I'm the same where i remember when i first watched that and i was like wow that was amazing but was it was it my favorite episode was it like i don't i don't know like is it top 10 possibly and so it was one where like every single time i watched it and i was like oh they really did something there like they, they've yeah. really pulled something off here and I think over time you, you may feel the same you may not but I think you know second place it's more it's a more than respectable position the silver medal position um, but the gold position goes to Battle of the Bastards and it is yet another episode where we both gave it full marks yeah. After Baylor, Blackwater, and now his watch is ended, The Lion and the Rose, and Hard Home, there is always one every single season <laughs> where it, we, we both give it full marks. But yeah, Battle of the Bastards, what an achievement. What an achievement. For for TV, for for all sorts, just for, t- for, just for the cast and crew, for... Me like watching TV at home. It's like, oh yeah, what an achievement I made! What in, enduring such uh, such pain on that on that screen, people's intestines flying everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's magnificent. Um, I, I don't want to go into too much about it because you know, if you want to listen to the episode, it's there. You know how to find it. But yeah, I think like purely on technical level alone, is a ten from me. And yeah. Oh, God, I love that episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, the season as a whole, what notes have you got on it? Because the season as a whole, obviously, as we go through, we give numerical numerical rankings. And you've got Mm. this, it's below season four, but it's level with season three, which was your next favourite. So, would you say Mm. second, third favourite season? I'm surprised it's level with season three, actually. Um, just, just thinking about it. I'm sure I, I did like season three, but there was a lot I didn't like about season three. And mm. I think the only thing that really drags season six down is that, you know, episode eight, is that it has one real clunker and yeah. a couple of episodes that are maybe a little bit bloated, but that's the nature of the show now. It has so much ground to cover. It has all of these boxes to tick, all of these loose ends to tie up, that that will inevitably happen. But yeah, I can't... Like, other than maybe season four, I can't think of another season that has three absolutely stellar episodes at the top. And 
Yeah. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I think that season six at the time, and I think it still is, a lot of... The general fan consensus of, like, the show is that everybody sort of says that, like, seasons one to four are perfect. Season five is when, oh, the gaps really start showing. And then people say, oh, there are problems with season six, but, like, it's better than season five. Like, up to this point. And I won't Mm. tell you what they say about the seasons afterwards because I don't want to affect your thinking, but... No, no. I kind of disagree because it comes I think a lot of people analyse the show from the idea from the perspective that the first four seasons are flawless when they're not it's just that the flaws that the show has now are different and maybe they're more obvious but I don't think they're as inherent which is a strange way of putting it but like the show this season I think that season six is the most streamlined and the most exciting as a consequence there are points in season five where it feels slightly baggy like there's too much going on and mm. that whatever is going on there's particularly in the middle of the season oh yeah of season yeah. five where it just feels like we're going to lots and lots of different points on the map but we're not really around the center of the story it doesn't feel like we're in a particularly focused spot especially episodes like kill the boy and episode uh, like uh, unbound unbent unbroken which are both episodes i really like but mm. a lot of the main characters are kind of out of the way or doing something else and it does feel like there's a lack of forward momentum in the middle of season five whereas with season six i think there's so much forward momentum that it kind of does the you know when cartoon characters start to run and <laughs> their legs go beep, 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 yeah. beep, like that and it just feels like season six is constantly like with the with the whirly legs and it's it, it doesn't move forward at a pace where it's like whoa too much, but it does it does have a, a it does move forward at a decent clip, I think, and it means that earliest earlier parts of the season feel like they feel exciting because there's lots going on, and then the middle point of the season it's just, just after that it kind of you know it doesn't really slow down it only ever slows down for an episode or two at a time. I'm thinking the slowest quote unquote episodes of the season are like Oathbreaker and Blood mm. of My Blood and The Broken Man and whereas all the other ones are sort of like bah, 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 for better or worse like you know it's something like no one where I think they try to wrap up too much and the tone is awkward but this for me maybe it's because I'm looking back with rose tinted specs a little bit because this was the first season I ever watched live every single week but this was so exciting yeah, Watching this week by week was so exciting because everybody still had really good faith in the show and they had a lot of goodwill for the show. And so discussing it on the internet and reading articles about it and stuff like that, it was still lots of enthusiasm and happiness and joy and people willing to be allowing themselves to be exhilarated by the show. Um there are always going to be a few naysayers and a few inf- influential naysayers who's, I just think, I, I, I would say incorrect opinions about the show have kind of stuck. Mm. But I think that this is much better than season five. Um, I mean, oh, I like yeah. season five more than most people, but I think it's a big improvement on season five. I think the show with Benioff and Weiss kind of going their own way with it, it means that this is their version of the show more than any other season. And this is the kind of show I think that they would have made from the beginning if they'd have been writing it from the, from the start. Um, mm. 
and that if, if they'd have been more confident in their craft in the first season, uh, then I think this is more the the tone, the the speed. I think that's more what it would have resembled. Um, I prefer it to season two, and I prefer it to season three, and mm. I prefer it to season five. But I think four and one are my solid picks for my two favourite seasons so far. But season six is probably joint with season one, maybe just below it, but it's uh, it's yeah. still very very high. I I enjoy it a lot. Um, so are you saying that this is like maybe your second favourite season then? I would say this is my second yeah. favourite season, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think it it starts to deliver on... I wouldn't... Fan service is not the word, but it feels more fan-friendly this yeah. season. I don't I know mean, if you want to talk about that, actually. Yeah, I did have a slight thought about that. You know how you were saying about people sort of turning on the show at this point a little bit? And I wonder if the 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 like the leaner tone, the more direct approach, is part of the. Hmm, it's well, it's the you know the rise in popularity, but it's also like commercialization and commodification to an extent. Yeah, and it's the you know, I guess HBO realizing that they have got a cash cow on their hands here if they want to make advantage of it. Um. But yeah, it what it does mean is that this this season of the show feels so different to the rest of the show up to this point in that it's so much like you say it's so much more direct, it's so much leaner. It it it's a little lighter as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's um they have to do away with these slow burn storylines just because they don't have the time to do that. And what that means is that we have a number of long-standing story arcs ending quite abruptly and new arcs resolving much more quickly than they might have done before, you know? Yeah, Think of Sandor definitely. and Ray, which ends in the span of one episode, when if that was in season two or three, that might have gone three or four episodes. I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree. I often like to imagine how the season would have gone if it was done earlier. Like, I imagine... Mm. Daenerys returning to Marine within eight episodes after being kidnapped by the Dothraki. I wonder if in an earlier season, maybe she would have stayed there until about episode six because Daenerys leaves Marine in episode four, uh, in leaves the Dothraki in episode four. But then... The only scene we see her in after that is the one with Drogon. Yeah. And then we don't see her again until she returns in mm. no one. And it's like that not much has actually happened in that three or four episode gap. No. And I just wonder, and it's basically because there's no space because of all the other storylines. But yeah, I, I do wonder if like, where would the season, where would the season have ended for Daenerys in another, in an earlier season? Like, um, Maybe Bran would have been with the Three-Eyed Raven for the whole season. And Probably. it would have it would have ended with Hold the Door in episode nine. Fuck. Or, can you imagine? Or so, something like that. But then yeah, like yeah, yeah. what do you fill the time with? Because it's just flashbacks and do you know what I mean? Like I they, think that yeah. I think they could have given like more to Ned's backstory. Yes, um, but, maybe build up to the Tower of Joy a little bit more, but like, uh, of course, yeah, yeah. But like, 
the see the speed that it moves along at, like you say, I think also as well the a lot of people like to rag on the 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 dialogue after season <laughs> five. It's like the dialogue's not as good because they're not using George R. R. Martin's dialogue anymore. And it's like, first of all, only about sixty percent of the dialogue in the first four four or five seasons was based on George R. R. Martin's dialogue. The show has always had its own internal language compared to the books. I think it's always been a bit more modernized. Mm. I think um someone always kind of I think I forget which critic it was, but they said that the characters all sort of especially the male characters, they all sort of speak like real ale drinkers. And <laughs> I think that like that's probably the best way to describe it. And I don't think but I think that the lang- the dialogue has not got worse or weaker. But I think it's slightly no. less rich and it's slightly yeah, less yeah. imaginative and poetic but it is more straightforward and it is more easily translatable to mass audiences yes i would agree and with that. yeah there are little things like that um creeping in throughout the season where they know the size of the audience and they mm. know the kind of crowd that they're playing to. And Benioff and Weiss have always kind of said that they wanted to use Game of Thrones to take fantasy to jocks and soccer moms. And yeah. to give it to everybody. And I think seasons I think season six, as much as people like to say that the Red Wedding is the point where everybody, quote unquote, tuned in to Game mm. of Thrones, I would argue that it's not until the Sept of Baelor explosion and the aftermath of season six episode 10 where everybody tunes in like it goes from being a cult show with a big following but a cult show to like a cultural phenomenon i think yeah the the winds of winter is the one that breaches the the gap i think that's the one that makes it cross over to mainstream audiences and it becomes a mainstream television show and I think that's what they wanted to do with this season and they they achieve it judging by the viewing figures of the season 7 premiere because it, mm. it it's the biggest jump between one season finale and the next season premiere in terms of viewing figures it, it the biggest jump happens now we go from 7.8 million people watching Battle of the Bastards to 10 million people watching the season 7 premiere Mm, yeah, and that, that's the biggest jump. That's two and a half, nearly three million, and I think that's that's this is where the, as you say, the 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 new Game of Thrones really steps into its own. But with regards to fan pleasing or fan service or fan friendliness or what you want to call it, I just keep an eye on it. I I, I just keep an eye on that for a second, okay. just to sort of just to see with regards to like where the show goes from here. Because you kind of know by now that Benioff and Weiss, they feed you something just to kind of maybe take it somewhere else. Uh, yeah. But I, I just want to see whether you agree with me on that as the uh, as the show goes forward. I mean, it's funny you say about the dialogue that it's translatable. I take it this is an international show at this point. Very much so, yeah. yeah. I think it is being dubbed into other languages um, by this point. So that does make sense, and like given the shift that we saw with um, cinema in the 2010s, how it became sort of very important to market it to like Chinese audiences. Yeah, 
it, it does make sense that you'd have that parallel. I also think this is around the time as well where HBO's ownership changes. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, and Casey Bloys steps aside. Yeah. But anyway, um, so I think that's our discussion of season six over. Mm-hmm. And so now we're going to watch the trailer to see what you would have had spoiled <laughs> had we watched it all yeah. those weeks ago. Um, so if anybody wants to tune this up and watch along with us, it's the one that's on the Game of Thrones official YouTube channel. The um, the real war is between the living and the dead. It's that one with 24 million views, as opposed to the Red Band trailer. And the Red Band trailer is cool, and I'll leave a link to the in the description to that trailer as well. But this is the one that we're gonna we're gonna go for because this was the main one, the first one that was uh, that was released. So, Lizzie, are you ready to press play? Yes, I am. Okay. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> remember this? <laughs> no, no idea. When John was dead. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. And I was wrong. God, that feels like a lifetime ago. Mm. You would spill blood in this holy place. The gods won't mind. They spill more blood than the rest of us combined. Who are you? No one. Okay. A girl has been given a second chance. There will not be a third. It's all I think about. What was taken from me. I know what happens. There's no hiding from this. We have to fight. Shot a battle of the bastards there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, not not the first one. Yeah. Show them what Lannisters are. What we do to our enemies. The real war is between the living and the dead. And make no mistake, the dead are coming. See what about the door spoiled? Yeah. More Battle of the Bastards. Yep. More Battle of the Bastards. <laughs> Dragons do not do well in captivity. How do you know this? That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Zinger right before the end there. <laughs> Interesting. That was not. Yeah, they do a little fake out with this bit. Did you think, oh my god, Tyrion! But, like, that doesn't actually happen. They, 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 they no. add the fire into the trailer, even though it doesn't happen in the show. <laughs> um, yeah, so you would have had all of that um, spoiled. It, I mean, it's an exciting trailer. It's a cool trailer. But it is, it is. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I bet you're glad that you, you, didn't, uh, you didn't watch it before the season, because you'd have been like, okay, so the Boltons are going to be in a battle against who... I wonder who, and it, like it would have got you thinking in the same way that it got us all thinking. Well, actually, the way they portray that, it makes it look like um, I don't know. Davos is going to go to war with the Night King. <laughs> it's really because obviously they have to get around the whole John being dead thing. Yeah, um, and, yeah. Conveniently, not in the trailer except yeah, as a dead body. Well yeah. done. Well, yeah, they're not going to say, "Oh, yeah, by the way, he's back." Uh, tune in on Wednesday or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, um, 
I sp- the, the I mean, when we used to watch these trailers, I did come away with like, even though I know I've seen all of these episodes, seeing all of those scenes in isolation, as much as there's obviously like the Battle of the Bastard scenes, like I know where they're from, but yeah, when you just have them spliced together without any real context, it's difficult to really make heads or tails of it until yeah. you see the scenes. Like ah, okay, that's where that's from, but then. You go into those episodes thinking, I wonder when they're going to show this bit with the, yeah, you know, the arrows or whatever, and you're just waiting for that one scene, and it kind of ruins it. But yeah. that's just my opinion. All right, then. So closing the curtain on season six, and we're moving ahead to the final thirteen episodes of the show. Oh the, my god! The seven episode long season seven and the six episode long season eight. Um, Lizzie, do you, the th- uh, you don't have to answer this, but Go on. there are three kind of strands of the story now, and the uh, okay. lead strands are Cerse- the leaders of those strands are Cersei, Daenerys, and John. Yeah, and so Daenerys is coming to Westeros, where Cersei is queen, and John is king in the north. How hmm. what, very broad strokes, as broad as you can give me. Where do you think the Winterfell stuff will go next season? I've kind of talked about it already. I think it's going to be a bit of a power struggle between... it, Well, like a power triangle almost between Sansa, Jon and Littlefinger. Okay. And King's Landing? King's Landing, I think, is... Um, I don't really know beyond, I think Cersei's going to become quite isolated, but also uh, just as chaotic as she always has been. Okay. And Daenerys, like, she's coming to Westeros, like, do you think, like, what do you think she'll do first? Like, what do you think her first port of call will be? Other than to land in Westeros and maybe get a good night's sleep after being on the sea for so long. <laughs> well, the big question is where she lands in Westeros. I wonder if... Because I don't know. Is there is there any chance that she might land and meet some of the other Greyjoys who are hoping to court her? Okay. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. All right, then. All right, then. Um, so, um, and Lizzie, um, of course, my colour for next season that I always Ooh. think of when I um, is uh, kind of like a frosty sky blue. Oh, very nice. A, a frosty sky blue. Uh, yeah. And you'll see that reflected in our new logo for next season all over our social media and podcast feeds. Perfect. Um, thank you for listening to our season six coverage. We know it was a bit truncated, what with Christmas and with bonus episodes and a couple mm-hmm. of breaks, but thank you very much for sticking it out. Um, we aim to make sure that uh, Season 7 is uh, regularly scheduled. Indeed. Um, But we know you'll be understanding if it's not. So we'll see you all very soon for the Season 7 premiere. Goodbye. See ya. (laughs) 